We continue in a series of readings from the Acts of the Apostles during this Easter tide. Today, from Acts chapter 16, remembering last week's reading where Paul has this vision to go to Macedonia. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten severely with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, the jailer put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundation of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights. And rushing in, he fell down and trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. And to all who were in the house, at that same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds, and his entire family was baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. May the old, old story become new again in our hearing by way of your spirit, that we might act up as the people in the book of Acts did to be more fully your people, now and always. In your holy name we pray, amen. 
I've wondered what it would be like to be a preacher in a city where perhaps you're unknown, walking down the street, and all of a sudden have completely unannounced or unrequested a young girl following you around going, these men are slaves of the Most High God who come bringing a way of salvation. Now on the one hand, that might be kind of flattering, might be kind of some interesting PR, but it skews the message because it implies that there's just some information being given rather than this experience and this transformation of a way that one lives one's life. That's the way of salvation. This kind of billing tends to skew the expectations and set up disappointments. It's like saying, well, I'm going to tell you one of the funniest things I've ever seen. When you say something like that, it better be pretty funny, right? Well, these men are the slaves of the Most High God. Sets Paul and Silas up to perhaps deliver something that they're not able to deliver because it's a gospel and a salvation that the people might not understand or be expecting. Granted, it's true, Paul did come to proclaim a way of salvation. But unfortunately, this young slave girl, this young fortune teller, may know who he is and what he does, but she doesn't know. She hasn't experienced the way of salvation. She's like a a young girl working in a sweatshop, sewing designer clothes, who never ever gets to wear the clothing that she makes. She's a slave to a system of domination. She's caught in this spirit of scarcity. And so although she's working Paul's last nerve, he actually becomes her advocate in that moment, even in the way that Jesus in last week's gospel reading said, I'm sending an advocate, that is, one who will support or defend you. He supports and defends this young girl by calling this spirit out in the name of Jesus. He replaces this spirit of scarcity with the spirit of of abundance and love. And so she's no longer a slave. She's no longer a cash cow for these forces of domination, these men who use her, this I've got mine crowd. And the slave owners are mad. They're mad. And by the way, this is the first men that Paul and Silas encounter in Philippi. You'll recall that Paul was called by God to go to Macedonia. He had this vision of a man, a man, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul goes. But all he finds really is a women's Bible study, a women's prayer group to get together. He meets Lydia, the uh, dealer in purple cloths. He meets this slave girl and only now meets a man. How, is, how are Paul and Silas called to help these men? Usually when we think of help, we think of someone doing something nice for you. Taking you a casserole or some soup if you're sick. Or, or, or giving you a word of encouragement or perhaps lending you some money. But in this case, Paul and Silas help, help 
these enslavers by confronting them with what they have been doing, with their abuse, their misuse of this girl. And really, that confrontation is their only hope of being saved, of being rescued from the prison that they themselves are in, of living life in this pattern. But, of course, they don't see it this way. They change the reason that they're, that they're angry at Paul and Silas when they bring them before the magistrates. They play the race card. They play this kind of faux patriotism card as they say, these guys are Jews. They're outsiders. They're not like us. And they're disturbing our city by getting us to do customs and rituals that really aren't for us Romans, which is, of course, a lie. And anytime you hear race or hyper-patriotism going into the making of a decision, you can almost guarantee that fairness and justice go out the door. And the politicians are listening. And they check the mood of the crowd who joins in with these accusations. And so the magistrate orders them stripped, beaten with rods, thrown into the inner, inner prison, and their feet set in the stocks. Just the thought of that gives me claustrophobia. To be chained, to be in the inner prison where there's no light. Can you imagine what that felt like, smelled like? And yet, as Otis Redding sang, in the midnight hour, Paul and Silas pray and sing. They sing. They're in prison. They can't even see each other. They can't see their hand in front of their face. And yet, they're singing. Later, Paul would write to the church that formed in Philippi. And he would say to them, I've learned in everything, in every situation, whether I've got a lot or a little, to be content. They sing. They're in a completely different zone. They're, they're, how they define success, how they define happiness, how they define their life is completely different than what most of us live our lives by every single day. I wonder, what did they sing? Something tells me they didn't sing, My Baby Does the Hanky Panky, or 99 Bottles of Beer on the Wall. They were singing about a God of abundance. A God who will be with them even in the darkest prison. Maybe they sang about the the, the psalm that says, even the darkness isn't dark to you, God. Maybe they made up a song using the language of that slave girl. Remember she was calling them slaves of the Most High God? Maybe they, maybe they adopted that because Paul later would write to that church in Philippi and he would begin his letter in this way. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ. And the prisoners, they're listening. Those who know Greek better say that the word here isn't just casual listening. It's on the edge of your seat listening. Your ear cocked listening, not wanting to miss even a single word kind of listening. As Paul and Silas 
sang with their pain, with their passion, with their power, and with their praise, and with their hope that God was not done. And the hope bounced off those prison walls, and pretty soon the foundations began to shake, and the things that held them back, the prison doors, the shackles, the chains, all open up, and they're let go. And if you look closely, you'll see kind of a thinly veiled metaphor for the undoing of the foundations of the empire itself, the empire of scarcity, of domination, of fear, and of, of hatred. It's, it's opened up, it's liberated, because here's the secret. Love liberates. Love changes everything. It opens up the prison doors and sets people free. It defeats the powers of scarcity and shows that there's enough for everyone and that everyone is welcome and everyone is included. Even the jailer, even the jailer, who assumes that the prisoners have escaped since the doors are open and starts to commit suicide until Paul, Paul, becomes the jailer's advocate and says, hey, we're all here, we're all present and accounted for. Paul, called to Macedonia by a vision to help a man, helps the jailer, helps him see something that he cannot even see himself. That's what happens when the church acts up. We become advocates for people to experience this gospel of abundance of a God revealed by Jesus to be always loving and always on our side, always for us, to baptize us in that love. The jailer realizes, I thought y'all were in prison, but I'm the one who's in prison. What must I do to be saved And Paul responds, believe on the Lord Jesus, which is to say, internalize Jesus' message. Don't just admire him. Follow him. Listen to him. Accept your God-given child of Godness. It's who you are. On this Mother's Day, we give thanks to our mothers. But even the most primal truth is this. You are a child of God. And that there's nothing you can ever do, nothing you can ever do or say that will make that truth untrue. You are children of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus. I love that Luke notes for us how the jailer, upon awakening to this, becomes hospitable. He washes their wounds. That makes me think of the story of of the Good Samaritan that Luke also told in the gospel, who washes the wounds of the wounded man. Here's the jailer washing Paul and Silas's wounds, bringing them food, having communion with them, and making himself part of the family of faith. They formed a new church in Philippi. 
some of its uh, charter members were a little slave girl who had been delivered from oppression. A woman named Lydia who dealt in purple claws and a jailer who had been part of the oppression of Paul and Silas. It's kind of a motley church, don't you think? Sort of like you. Sort of like us. They went on to change the world. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. You whose presence changes the equation entirely. May we in this moment walk into faith in such a way that we live differently. We're oriented differently. We see differently. We interpret differently. And may we become advocates for all of your children even as you have done for us. In your beautiful and holy name we pray. Amen.